What's up, dude? Not much. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Yeah, not much, man. Um, same old, same old. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of new things. And they're good things. Dude, how freaking lame. I'm getting braces. <laughs> I, Whoa. What is the deal with that, dude? I'm so... I'm so hold on, are we recording this? <laughs> yeah. This is... Dude, I am very upset about this, to be honest. <laughs> what, what happened? What happened? What happened? <laughs> what happened? I have no idea. I, I've gone to the dentist twice a year for my entire adult life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy's like, dude, do you need, you 100% need braces right now. They said I need surgery. Well, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not, not going to do surgery. Can I do Invisalign? He's like, look, I'm going to be real honest with you. Your teeth are so jacked up. Invisalign wouldn't even do anything. <laughs> so you're, it's it's a medical thing. You must get them for your face not to fall off or something. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, he he actually said like if I wanted to do it through the army, I could probably um, get it completely for free because it would be a necessary, like a necessary operation, not cosmetic. It would be necessary. What? Yeah. What's wrong with your? Are you face, seeing the? Uh, are you seeing the gift that Rob just sent? <laughs> Dude, check out the gift, man. <laughs> uh, loving this the gifts. This is the worst, dude. I know. I do love the gifts. The gifts are the best. Yeah. We were saying before you got on, it was pretty funny that I just said, "Hey, seven thirty tomorrow morning," and his response was just a, a jubilant gift. <laughs> to which I responded with another gif, and you did. And then I assumed we were all in. And you're like, wait, hold on. I thought we were just sending gifts. Yeah. <laughs> I seriously went back and was like, oh my gosh, they proposed the time. I just, I got really into that just really quick. Dude, yeah, the just... George W. Bush gif, that thing is hilarious. That little hip pop. Yeah. So, um,. The Hillary why Hillary medically, if you want, if you don't want to get into it, it's fine. But why medically, no. what does one need braces? Um, so again, he actually said I need surgery, and they were, they wanted to put a spacer in the roof of my mouth because the top of my of my jaw is like more concave than it's meant to. So all of my top teeth and all of my bottom teeth, they all jut inwards, hmm. and huh. so essentially when I bite down. Um, I'm biting down directly on top of my teeth. And so he was like, yeah, you could not get braces and then have no teeth when you're 40 because hmm. the constant collision of your top and bottom teeth, uh, it would just like, that's in like screw. 10 years. Yeah. That's yeah. Not that long. I mean, I made that number up, but he said, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> he said, essentially you, you won't have teeth when you're, when you're old. Uh-huh. And like 40 is super no old. Teeth. No oh. teeth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, I would have thought, looking at you, that you had braces as a teenager because you have pretty straight teeth. I know. They look fine. 
they look fine. It's just that they hit exactly on top of each other. Okay. So, and my molars, they don't, they don't impact. And so it's all the pressure is on my front couple of teeth. And you have said before that, like, don't you grind your teeth really bad too? Like, oh my goodness. you pretty much attack your, yeah. your body goes in attack mode when you go to sleep. Yeah. I've always been what I would phrase as an active sleeper, uh, <laughs> an aggressively active sleeper, possibly. But it sounds like a terrorist group, like <laughs> active sleeper self. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's terrorists run my dreams. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in the the orthopedic surgeon, he actually felt my jaw and was like, "Dude, your jaw is incredibly strong." He's like, "I can literally feel, <clears throat> I can." Really, I can feel your jaw muscles because they're, I guess they're constantly being worked. Hmm. And like, pff, no surprise there. Yeah. How long you got to wear these braces, man? It'll probably just be my time here in Rome. So like two years, which I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that bad. Gotcha. Yeah. For, no. for new listeners, Mike is in Rome, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things. <laughs> Things are not what they seem out here. All right. Hey, new parish, Rome, Georgia. Hey, you're gonna be getting braces. <laughs> oh, what no. a what a uh, what a little minor humiliation. I would not want to have to walk around with braces. So you're not gonna get the Invisalign. You have to get the full on fourteen year old. Yeah. Big big metal braces. Yeah. So. He said that Invisalign wouldn't do anything because my teeth are so... You're probably going to need rubber bands. I remember those days. Yep. Yeah, my high school brothers, they were making fun of me. It's going to be... It's going to be, yeah, not fun. My guess is it'll be like a week where I'm like, oh, this is stupid, and then Mm -hmm. I'll just get over it. Just get used to it. Don't catch a basketball in the face when you have braces. It hurts like 10 times more. Oh, man. (laughs) I will try my best. Um, Yeah, so that's what's new in my world. Well, you guys want to say a prayer? Do it, man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for this time together. We finally get to uh, hang out and talk. Bless the conversation. Bless those we serve and minister to through our priesthood bless all priests especially those who struggle with their vocation and uh, those who listen to this podcast Hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus Holy Mary Mother of God pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen Amen Bless the Ocho. Ocho. Yeah, I think we're in the Ocho. Nice. So pumped about that. Should we just do updates? I mean, it's been so long, man. Yeah, I don't know what the... It's like it's kind of like starting over. Who are you guys? How long has it been? Over a month? Got to be at least a month. Bisk said we did one in July. Yeah, I think that we did it. one in July. Yeah. Yeah, Rob, what have you been up to? Um, well, since July, I, uh, went to Ireland, which was fun. Have we talked since then? I Um, don't think so. We were going to try to do one while you were over there, but. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, good trip. 
Uh, it rained a lot, but I think I think it's just pretty rainy in Ireland. But beautiful, good people, uh, fun trip. My family came down for a few days then at the end of July, kind of wrap up vacation there. Um, played, played some pretty intense laser tag with my nieces and nephews. <laughs> Dude. And then, yeah, nice. it was pretty great. Do you know my little niece, Anna Therese? Um, she's one of Jen's. She's this super cute little blonde, but she is a fiercely good laser tag player because she's so <laughs> little you can't see her. But she's fast, and she's just really, really good. Um, then, I'm trying to think. Uh, celebrated the wedding for a real good college buddy. That was fun. And we're roll- it is go time here, man. So I had all the weekend masses back at the university uh, yesterday. And the high school is going. Grade school starts tomorrow. PSR starts up in a few weeks. Um, so that is my life is... Is in that zone. summer's over. Summer is officially over. But we had some. Uh, we had a good start on on campus. Uh, yeah, the students did a great job of advertising the masses and stuff like that. So it was cool, and got some good stuff planned the next couple weeks. Yeah, man. No, it's good. Life life's great. Life's really good. Prayer's been pretty good. Um, yeah, nothing like nothing too big to report. Really, it's just since I got back from those that vacation time, it's just been like get get ready anyway. Get ready. I also oh I did get a new job. Did I tell you this Bisque with the diocese? Hmm, no, no. I am so I have the same roles. I'm the uh, parochial vicar at Saint Boniface and chaplain at SIUE, and I am now one one of the associate vocation directors for the diocese. Nice. So yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, so we we have a meeting coming up to kind of flesh out the details more on what that'll look like. But pretty excited about that. That'll be fun. Mm. So that's my life. That's all I have to say. That's a quick update. That's a quick check-in right there. That was a quick check-in. That was mm-hmm. a quick check-in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we only got so much time, you know. It's true. That's true. We have a hard, a hard, hard stop time at eight thirty. Seven thirty. Oh, seven thirty our time. Yeah, eight thirty. Oh, that's time. right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, somebody asked me. Uh, one of my missionaries asked, "How far away is Edwardsville?" Because uh, I was like, "I'm not really sure." He goes, "How do you guys?" podcast mm. and he didn't realize because we're such technical geniuses and use this fancy app he thought we were all in the same room the internet <laughs> yeah I, I didn't want to <laughs> i don't want to ruin it for those who think that but we're not mike's in rome mike's in rome i'm right in chicago now. i'm in edwardsville <laughs> and through the magic of the internet wait a second i've said too much can you can we redact that I don't yeah we don't want to get knowing. doxxed yeah yeah man um Dang. Yeah. What have you How, been up to, Bisque? Yeah. Oh, gosh. What have I not been up to? Um, well, I can't remember if we podcasted since I, I gave that talk at the Liturgical Institute. That went well. Um, that one I'd been reading the Schmemann book and stuff for. Uh, then I went to um, Idaho at the end of July to fly fish with some buddies, including cool. uh, the co-host of our rival podcast that shall not be named. Um, 
<laughs> when we say rival, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like Michigan is to Illinois <laughs> in football. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to say. It. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really know we're rivals, but we we yeah. hate them. We do. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do hate them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other guys. It's cool. Uh, trip we've been doing since college a bunch of us are priests now so mass every day in the woods in the panhandle of idaho and uh i caught a bunch of fish this year did really well um, nice. nick blaha got a video of me catching a fish on a fly which i mean even if you fish all day you only catch like 10 or 15 fish max so to have caught me catching a fish is pretty cool cool man um Good little recalibration, getting out of cell phone range for a good eight or nine days. Oh, yeah. The weather was perfect. Every night, stars to beat the band, seeing the Milky Way, satellites, shooting stars. There was one night I was laying in this tent, um, and I could see like where my head was. There was a little bit of a screen straight up, and then trees, and just, I don't know, maybe 15% of the sky was stars that I could see. Other Everything else was blocked either by the tent or the, by the trees. And I just had this thought in my head. Um, God, if you love me, show me a shooting star. And, of course, nothing happened at first. And so I, I was doing a little thing in your head like, I, did I really even say that or no? <laughs> and then, like, ten seconds later, in one of the tiny little strips of sky, I could see this giant shooting star streaks mm. across the sky which was pretty cool that is cool man um of course science i mean you know that stuff could be a coincidence but anyway it oh. was signal grace <laughs> um got back and same thing as you rob getting ready for school focus missionaries mm-hmm. are here got them moved in cool they're doing great um cool to have them around excited for the year it's gonna be good building this coffee shop thing it's a bit more complicated than i expected predictably more complicated than predicted and uh trying to get that set up in this last week it's going to be tough but it might hang over into the semester which not the end of the world kids might see the we have the frame of the bar up and it's big it's going to be it's going to look really cool but have to pick out countertops, have to pick out the facade, have to pick out the bar top, chairs, everything's got to match, you know, things that are not my expertise, but I have people that are experts. That's the thing I'm learning is like, how do you communicate with like four or five different interested parties? Mm. And I think that my MO with decision making, I've just discovered this about myself, is that rarely as the leader am i like no this is not what's going to happen we're going to do it this way because that's what i like i just don't it's not that i don't care but a much higher priority for me is that people i trust and uh i don't know need i want them to like it and even Mm -hmm. if i don't quite get it or it wouldn't be my first preference i would much rather like the great majority of interested parties be happy then i get what i want i'm not saying that to be selfless i'm just saying that my own selfish desires for everybody to be happy (laughs) you know what i'm saying 
You just want to be liked. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it's that. Yeah. I think I just <laughs> yeah. want to be liked. I yeah. want everybody to say like, "Wow, you did such a good job." Everybody likes this, and I <laughs> secretly don't like it, but it's fine. <laughs> that's not what's important to you, right? <clears throat> yeah, that's not it's why you're an doing interesting it. personality quirk. Hmm. So it's coming down to crunch time. Kids are moving into dorms on Wednesday, and then school starts a week from today. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So I got them. Meet with the furniture guy. We got some really cool furniture coming in for this coffee shop, like live edge, plain seven foot boards that are turned into tables with cool hairpin legs and stuff that I never thought I'd be into, but it, it's going to look really cool. You guys should come visit. <laughs> I should come visit. I, that would be super fun. I am. You're going? You sure are. That's yeah. right. You're coming in December. I'd- I bought a plane ticket. I'm going to go up and visit December 4th, Rob, if you want to uh, wow. come on up to UIC as well. you just ha- How long are you hanging out for? What would it be three days, I think? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He's giving a talk. Friday. We could make the talk a live cast. <gasps> Whoa. Just throwing uh, that out there. Yeah. December 4th is a Wednesday. Ooh, Dude, I, I, don't definitely, even... I definitely could give a talk. And then we could talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You let me know. We'll kick around that idea. December 4th. I love stuff like that. Yeah, stuff that'd like be what? really fun. Giving a talk? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Or just like coming up with... with uh... Has it occurred to you that people are going to have a trouble taking it seriously because you're saying it with a be braced mouth (laughs) (laughs) actually Uh, yes that has occurred to me (laughs) who would be the silent guest for it though if we did a live show a lot of them a lot of silent guests probably the uic student body yeah yeah the entire student body oh man i don't want to throw this uh do i want to say this so (laughs) newman is getting canonized and i have i have in the works a special surprise um, for the Newman can John Henry Newman's getting canonized in October. You guys aware of that? Yeah. Yes. And the miracle uh, happened in somewhere in Chicago, and I'm hoping to find a way to do a special presentation on that. Cool. Whoa. Yeah. Did that you read the story of the miracle? Cool. No, I have not. Okay, so this woman gets, uh, she's pregnant, young mother, but she's got maybe five or six kids already. Uh, this was in the newspaper here in Chicago. And uh, her, she starts bleeding um, in like the fourth month of her pregnancy. And she goes into the doctor and the placenta has started to separate from the uterine wall. And it's causing this hemorrhaging. And she's got to basically just be on bed rest for the rest of her pregnancy, which is, what, another five months. And... Um, She's got a bunch of kids. Her husband travels for work, and it's just not going to happen. So she's trying to be careful and not be do any strenuous activities or anything to make it worse. But um, this one morning, she's bleeding a lot, and she sets her kids up at the breakfast table and tells them, don't move. She goes up to the bathroom upstairs, and in that uh, time of going up the stairs, that's strenuous enough that she starts bleeding really bad. She doesn't have her cell phone. She can't scream for her kids uh, because the exertion would make it worse. And she's 
worrying she's going to pass out and she's thinking, am I dying? And she just calls out, Cardinal Newman, stop the bleeding. And it immediately stops. Um, Mm. She'd had kind of a devotion to him. She had his picture in her house. and, um, And then she smells like this obvious scent of roses in her bathroom. And uh, then it goes away. She looks down. There's no bleeding left. She cleans up, smells the roses again, goes away, goes back downstairs. Her kids are still just sitting at the table, perfectly still. She'd, like, been panicking about them. And she smells the roses a third time and asks them, "Do do you smell that? And they said no. And then it goes away. And then, uh, you know, four or five months later, she has an eight-pound baby, no more bleeding, no more problems, perfectly healthy pregnancy, no scientific explanation. It's a miracle. So that's really cool, I think. Um, was her pregnancy, was it documented how complex it was and how... Yeah, I mean, the Vatican did all the due diligence on the miracle. Man, um, man, that's crazy. Isn't it? Wow. Wow. You know, that's interesting because one of the big critiques an atheist friend used to throw out to me was, well, how come all these miracles only happen in like really impoverished countries or they don't right. have modern medicine and it's just all these people who they think it's a miracle, but there's no really proper documentation before or after. So to have somebody who is like right there in, in Chicago with, I mean, all of this before and after testing and just right in our backyard that's that's pretty special yeah so my first thought was for that reason it would be great to have this woman come tell her story i could talk about newman wow. um, but she's busy and has all these kids and it's the same reason why <laughs> the difficult pregnancy was difficult like she can't just go and give talks but it would be great if she could um give her free coffee for, speaking of coffee Thank goodness it's early, mm-hmm. and uh, I have some Guadalupe Rostri that I'm sipping on right now. <laughs> this mm, podcast brought to you by Guadalupe Rostri. Nailed that. Nailed it. Um, yeah, I think that, to me, this is something I was talking about with Nick Blaha um, over the vacation, because he was in campus ministry for a while, but just, I think, in general, priests trying to trying to awaken <clears throat> desire for something more in the secular world that was kind of my talk at the liturgical institute too is the world closed in on itself and um feeling like there's no epiphany nothing objective that can pierce the veil of the of the autonomous world like how do we how do we know that god is here and that he's doing stuff and that he's real like the shooting star thing there has to be we have to kind of go back to this childlike wonder at ordinary things, but also expect extraordinary things. And those extraordinary things um, can help to sort of start to dismantle the worldview where um, only this kind of thing is possible, you know, where miracles are sort of written off before they even happen. Like, oh, nothing, nothing really extraordinary happens. And I mean, ultimately, what you want to get to is realizing that everything is a miracle, the sacramental kind of view of nature, that everything is a sacred sign um, Hmm. that takes nothing for granted. You know what I mean? Because that's the bourgeois secular worldview is that everything is just 
the way it is. That's just, it's taken for granted. But kids, when they look at the world, they're never like that. Everything is new. And I told this story in a homily yesterday. Did I ever tell you guys these little girls I was playing Legos with once in aftercare at my um, school, my old parish? I was playing Legos with them for like a half an hour and they were asking me all these questions that were hilarious. But the funniest one was, um, how come sometimes you do the mass, but sometimes your dad does the mass? (laughs) 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 And I said, uh, you know, Father Ken's not my dad, actually. And she said, then why do you live with him? (laughs) It's It's hilarious. You are trying to fit... You're trying to figure out reality at this age. She was maybe six years old, seven years old. And you just have certain categories. Like a younger person who lives with an older person is the son. And that's the dad. Um, But that sort of childlike look at the world where you're just trying to figure everything out. And everything's new and wonderful. And you also have an imagination that you you can imagine magic things. Extraordinary things happening. Um, sort of like the Lewis thing in the beginning of Narnia. I wrote this, I started writing this book for you, but I realize you're already too old for fairy tales. So mm. maybe you'll return to this book when you're old enough to read fairy tales again. Yeah. Um, that idea of restored innocence, you kind of have to break through, or God has to break through our crusty little worldview. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, how would you how would you tell someone to begin to cultivate that, though? I've been reading this book. I, I just what I was thinking about when you were talking. Mike, do you remember the uh, lady a couple of years ago who came to Mundelein when we were still there, who her sister had been uh, murdered? Yep. And yeah, she's like a big her name is Jean Bishop. And she wrote this book called Change of Heart. And she's a huge um I would call her like a pro-life advocate, really. I mean, she's very against the death penalty and um, like, yeah, she's an amazing, amazing lady. But her 25-year-old sister was really brutally murdered. Um, I mean, like the early 90s or something like that. And like horrific story. They were pregnant and it was her sister and her husband. And um, it just kind of like a senseless, like super violent crime. And she remembers the first thing that, like she said when she got with her family, like after they had found out the news and the way I read the book is she doesn't know where it came from. It just kind of came out of nowhere. But the first thing she said that she was like, I don't want to hate anybody. And that started it. I was like the seed that started this years of like, I don't know what you call it, but like forgiveness and um, like some type of healing. And she ended up like years later meeting with the guy uh, face-to-face who killed her family and, um, like, has, like, forgiven him. And it's just an incredible, incredible story. The book is really good, um, how, she, her name? how she writes it. Jean Bishop. She's a lawyer in Chicago, I'm pretty sure. Um, but anyway, I was – the point – I don't want to, like, derail what you're talking about because I'm interested. But I kind of thought with that – and she just she writes it really beautifully because she doesn't try to explain like where that thought necessarily came from or like why her and not like everybody else that that thought came to you know or anything like that um but it just i i thought it was awesome and it's it's similar to there it's like i don't know you can't 
tell someone to cultivate like a heart like that, you know, or something like that happening in your heart in a moment like that. But you kind of want to, you know, as, as beautiful as it is. So even what you're talking about, Biscuits, like I'm in, what would you say, like, if someone came to you to be like, okay, well here again, like not to work or earn your way to heaven or anything like that, but like, here's how you begin to start to uncover that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh. Hey, can I interject right quick before you answer that, Bisk? Mm-hmm. I, and I think a, a big distinction there and something that's kind of implicit in your question is like, how do you discover it and not just not just make it up? Right? Yeah, sure. Good way. Yeah, good way to say it. I'm thinking about, um, so this is kind of cool, on the Idaho trip, my friend Mike Haig, who uh, I've known since college. Oh, Mike. A couple of years. Yeah, you know Mike? No. Oh, but. Me? Oh, no, Mike. Other Mike. Yeah. Other um, Mike. I don't know any other Mikes. <laughs> you don't know a single other Mike? <laughs> That's not true. There was like 50 at Mundelein when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike Haig is a state trooper. Um Really cool guy. He got me the firefighting job years ago. He was the he was the pioneer that went out west and worked for the Forest Service. And then on the first Idaho trip I ever went on with these guys, he was telling stories about forest fires while a forest fire was happening. Um, like within a safe distance, we could see the fire at night while we camped. And that's what mm, stoked the hunger to go out west and, and fight fires when I was in college. So cool guy uh long friendship anyway he's got six kids now and two of them are teenagers maybe 12 and 13 but the two oldest boys came with us on this trip um that was kind of his only way to come on the trip uh to get permission from his wife was to take a couple of the kids so they came and um you know he's like this guy my friend mike i've just admired from a distance for a really long time he's one of these guys that uh, he grew up on the South side of Chicago, but he's always loved the outdoors and his uncles all hunt and fish and he can like hold his breath for, he can swim two lengths of the pool without coming up for air. Uh, he's basically like the Navy SEAL friend. Um, he almost got on the SWAT team, uh, of the state troopers. That is also just how you said that is kind of, that's a, almost like a childlike wonder, like. You gotta check this guy out, man. He can hold his breath for <laughs> exactly. so Seriously. long. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of those people you hang out with and he's like, hey, let's go do this activity. Let's go spearfishing in Lake Michigan. And I'm like, that, I can't, I can't tread water for like 30 seconds in that water. It's so cold. And he's like out there with just a snorkel holding his breath and shooting fish with a spear gun. And, um, it's just, he's a cool guy. Uh, Anyways, yeah, he almost made the SWAT team, even though he's 38, maybe, and everybody else trying out for SWAT is like 20, 22. Um, anyways, he he kind of raises his kids like that. First of all, genetically, they're like him, um, really fit and strong, and then psychologically, just brave and um, curious, and he's very, very Catholic, uh, sends his kids to kind of a sort of Chesterton Academy type place. Um, where it's very Catholic mass every day. And these kids were so well balanced. Like they were sitting there, they were very polite with adults. Like we were sitting around a campfire. They wouldn't, 
they wouldn't talk or interrupt and there was no childish kind of uh fighting with each other or anything like that they were just like very well behaved but then they would also have interesting things to contribute like we i started talking about chernobyl did you watch that series on netflix i think it was on netflix uh there's a six-part miniseries on chernobyl the chernobyl disaster which is very interesting um but they like understood nuclear reactors and stuff and i'm like how do you know all this stuff like oh we looked up on the internet so it's not like they're totally sheltered from the the electronic one of the one of the kids has a youtube channel where him and his buddies make dumb videos and uh he writes stories and picture books and stuff and they're like read them on their youtube channel it's really creative but anytime there wasn't something to do like we're just sitting around being lazy grown-ups around camp they would run down to the river and try to catch snakes and frogs and they would just tie on flies on their fly rod and try to catch fish and be pretty successful and i thought um this is the childhood that i wish i had and i think it was partly my environment and partly my nature uh that i was i wasn't like that where you're just like at 12 and 13 just curious and constantly um going on adventures and uh seeking out new things and new knowledge um and they don't have phones, they don't have cable, um, they just have a big family and do fun things. And I, I kept asking Mike, like, how do you, what do you, what's your philosophy of fatherhood? And he's like, <laughs> first of all, it was funny. He goes, man, I've been asked that a lot on this vacation because it was like five or six priests and he was the only, well, there's a couple dads on there, but he was the only one that brought his kids. And uh, I think we were all kind of in awe of it because we all grew up like suburban kids you know um and i think the suburbs the bourgeois suburbs is where that wonder uh about nature and creation and god and and stuff like that is sort of um i don't know stifled by the fact that everything's so secure and playgrounds aren't allowed to have anything dangerous and um public schools aren't allowed to talk about god and um you know, all, all these little ways that you sort of stifle that child's imagination and, and his sense of wonder or danger or bravery. Um, and I think that that to me was part of, uh, as part of cultivating that heart, that open heart to the world as the natural sacrament of God is that you, you don't fill up your mind with a bunch of dumb garbage and you also aren't afraid to, explore you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's an answer to your question but that's yep. the thing that well and something that's uh that is maybe so obvious in that whole scenario in that whole setting that seems to to be a big part of it is that they have a dad and a family and probably an environment that's also teaching them how to see reality in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so you have somebody translating the experience of the world through a Catholic worldview, through a mm -hmm. sacramental worldview that is full of that imagination, that is full of the belief in that all these things are gifts from God, you know? And if you don't, if you don't have a teacher, like somebody to teach you how to live, 
then I, it's how, how could you, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, yeah, there's this phrase that came to mind. It was listening to a lot of Peterson stuff. Um, just realizing, I think something that's, that is very intriguing about Peterson and Baron as well is they both have a lot of explaining power, meaning they can look at something and give like a very reasonable explanation for where it came from or why it is the way that it is. And kind of give a lot of like background evidence for what, why things exist the way that they do. And I think that's something that's very appealing about, yeah, both of those guys. Um, but if you have a, if you have a teacher who can help explain like why things are the way that they are, uh, I know that seems to be one of the only ways that you can actually learn how to see the world like that, because there's a lot of different competing worldviews. And if you don't have yeah somebody there to teach it, how could you learn it? You know? Yeah. Speaking of, well, speaking of Baron, I think of certain things I heard from him when I was a teenager, cause I was blessed to have him just as a priest coming to our parish on weekends. And I was trying to always go to the masses he did because he had good homilies. Like some of the things I think of that blew my mind when I was 15 are just like the idea that love is willing the good of the other. It's something I've heard him say probably 1,500 times. Um, I'd never heard that as a teenager, and it just made sense of a lot of things in the Bible, like if you try to read the New Testament and him just explaining some basic truth um Hmm. it was a huge i wonder what my life would be like if i hadn't had that at that age um Hmm. as you're coming into your own and you fall in love or you looking for love or, or whatever to just hear an authority say love is not feeling good it's willing the good of another um and that means even if it costs you something even if it costs you the one you love um you know what i mean so yeah i agree you need these father figures you need mystagogues to kind of lead you into the mystery but you also you also need to have courage i think um i don't know you can't you can't just stay in your own shell that's a a shaman thing i think he says that the bourgeois world is grace proofed i kind of think of like a saran wrap um Hmm. like covering on the world that's honestly how i felt in the suburbs i remember feeling this as a as an adolescent riding my bike around i felt like i feel like i'm inside even though i'm outside it's this (laughs) weird weird feeling that i would always have um dude you're a weird kid i was (laughs) that's a fascinating thing to say yeah. Huh. Cause I didn't realize it until, well, I guess partially in Chicago, but, um, being here in Rome, this Rome, Georgia's got the kind of small little town feel and it's, it has its own culture. It's not the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs. I'm realizing I probably could have grown up in the suburbs of Chicago and it really wouldn't be much different than the suburbs of Atlanta. Cause it's just kind of like this whitewash. Everything is controlled. There's no real wild external variables that just like break into your day but man you walk around downtown rome and you're like there's that guy who's always standing there on the corner Hmm. and every time i see his face 
I am like provoked to like want to stop and talk to him and like he has no home and here's this guy who's like always walking here with these groceries and there's just all these external forces that that I have no control over and yeah it it does it it kind of like interrupts my day um dang and that that was a big thing that I preached on this weekend with um with the story from Jeremiah and like Jesus's pretty challenging words I've come to set the earth on fire Mm. I came to bring not peace but division and like I I think that is the disrupting power of grace Um, and I tied it in with the first reading because it's like well what what do we usually do with that word of God that steps into our life and tells us to do something different is we usually chuck it in the well we usually chuck it into a cistern we're like (laughs) yeah no I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen to that challenging provocation of the word of God in my life. And so we don't listen to it, but and I think you can do that really easily in the suburbs, but, um, yeah, it's not, it's not so easy when you, when you actually see somebody's face and yeah, that's definitely grace breaking through that cellophane wrap of, of grace proofing. Grace proofing. It's like rust proofing your car. That's true. You know what I thought of when you said, no, I'm not going to do that? I thought, uh, hey, uh, here's the plan for Saturday. You, me, bar, beers, buzz, shot swings, (laughs) drunk, waitresses. (laughs) Andy Bernard. is no, I don't want to do any of that. (laughs) Fine. Sorry for offering you my friendship. (laughs) Uh, I think it's also the, the... well, not also, but the, I think along these lines, actually, letting in some of the hard stuff. I've been talking to some friends about this, that some of the saving graces of this last year, as I'm growing into this new role and trying to move things in a, a good direction at Newman and um, listen to God's will or listen to his voice and, and try to put things into practice. But a lot, a lot of it's like success-based when it's your job, you know, Um Anytime you're managing, leading, you kind of feel like I want things to work out. And it's a lot of control. You're seeking more control uh, for an intended outcome. And some of the saving graces have been, one, going to the jail and visiting guys in the jail, which is like a total, you're not in any control whatsoever. Um, Hmm. I mean, someone is, thank God. Uh, But you just go in there into these pods with... 40 dudes, you know, um, and you meet with them one at a time, like at these little sort of picnic table type things. Um, it's not, it's not really like the shows like arrested development where it's like, no touching, no touching. It's, it's (laughs) very much there's, if they wanted to, they could, they could touch you. I mean, I shake hands with the guys and, and they're just sort of roaming around and you, you feel like, I don't know, as a suburban kid, um, what am I doing here? How did I get here? You know, only, only the priesthood would have brought me to these people and I'm grateful. Um, and they're people that are kind of at their most vulnerable. And I don't know if I've talked about this, but it just, it's one of these things that reminds me who I am as a priest and opens me up to some, some wonder, you know, it confronts reality. Hmm. And then this, uh, friend of mine, former parishioner who's in uh, a rehab place and has been suffering from bone cancer for a long time. She's 24. 
going and seeing her about once a week just to bring her communion and uh, pray with her and visit and like play Uno. She's just stuck in this place. Can't get out of bed. Her legs are just in pain and um, just sucks. And I pray for her every day, like begging God for some miracle just to cure her. And there's really nothing they can do at this point. So she's just waiting. And all she wants to do is walk, you know, go home, uh, see her boyfriend in Mexico. And it's those sort of things. It's like, I'm glad that I'm confronting the reality of the fact that like, you can't, you can't be this for every person on earth that's suffering. You know, I have to walk by like 20, 30 rooms of people in this nursing home just to get to her and I could Mm -hmm. visit each one and everyone's got a story. But, um, part I think of the grace proofing of our life is that we don't want to think about stuff like that. Or we have like political opinions that are surrogates for our actually knowing people's stories, you know, like, Oh, I think that this should be done with healthcare or immigration and that would fix the whole thing. We, we make, we, we think that it's like a policy issue and not the fact that reality is really hard and scary sometimes, but that if you can, if you confront it or face it with an open heart, like there's, there's some glory there, but only if you have the courage to do it. Um, and that's another suburban conceit is that like, Everywhere could be like the suburbs if they just did it right. Like, thank God it's not, you know, like you guys going to Haiti or me going to El Salvador. You know, there's so much political corruption and and just terrible stuff going on in these places. But you see the human spirit in a way that's almost magnified by the circumstances. You know what I mean? I'm grateful for my upbringing. I'm grateful for everything, but it does seem like um, yeah, we need we need something to to pierce the veil so that we can see we can long for another world. That's that's what's tough is being a priest in the suburbs is um you feel like you get up and you try to preach about like I guess I just expected to to tell people the good news that there's something more to life and that people would be hungry for it if you preached it in a compelling way and told good stories and, you know, lived it out that people would just be like, Oh, nice. Um, kind of like I was when I, uh, met a guy like Baron or went to Newman and met the priest there and sure. stuff like I was hungry for something, but there's a lot of people that just don't seem hungry and that yep. they're pretty content where they're at. Um, like, Oh yeah, I like, I like to go to church and hear a good homily, but, I'm not going to be a lunatic about it and go every Sunday, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I said. Uh, one of my favorite parts of working with like focus and there's another group life team that uh, I get to chap on a, a little bit for. And even this short time being in the parish, like the most difficult thing is awakening desire yeah. within people. It's like, I can tell you that this is good for you and you need it or you'll die. But how, like, how can you believe that? And the great part about working with these groups of, of young folks is that the desire is already awoken. And so they're hungry. And so all you got to do is just feed them. And, and it just makes maybe 90% of the challenge of, of, you know, what we do as priests 
it's already accomplished because that desire is already, I mean, they're ravenous, man. They're just Mm -hmm. looking for anything. So it's just leading a horse to water at that point. Hmm. And that's fun. That's really fun. It is. Hmm. Have you enjoyed working with your focus missionaries? Yeah, it is. It's very refreshing and just have four people that are on fire and, uh, on the same page and eager to get out there and, and share it, you know, same convictions. And yeah, it's just cool to, to have a team because it does some sort of feel like a solo sport. Sometimes that awakening of, I totally agree with you. Awakening of the desire is the hardest part. Now we still need to do that. You know, that's why something like mirror, you know, I'm less sure that like just really good catechesis uh, you know, information is going to do the trick. I, th- I think things like miracles and things like beautiful liturgy and even this coffee shop, making it the most beautiful place on campus, even though it's not a sacred place necessarily. Um, you know, people are moved by feeling at home, feeling like a nostalgia for something that they've never even experienced. You know, I think that that's that's the deep thing is like you have to touch some part of the heart that longs for that home, the origin and purpose of life. Uh, and that's what makes you, it's a, it's a wound actually. It makes you realize you're a resident alien. You're like, I can't make my home here. There's hmm. nothing for me. And so that's, what's scary about it. Evangelizing someone is that like now they can never go back. It's like being red pilled in the matrix or something. Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to just keep living the illusion uh, that this is all there is. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that sort of thing is, you know, you need people that are more alive. It's the Julian Caron thing. Like people need to see the human value of having faith in Christ, that you are more free, you're more alive, more human because you believe, hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's surpa- that, that that doesn't it's not anti-intellectual it's just super intellectual. It's not you can't just reason to that. Um the faith is spread by jealousy. Father Derek Ho. I think I said that last time and you guys were blown away. This is such a good line. <laughs> it's a good line. Great line. Mm-hmm. Huh. I was blown away. I remember sharing that with a friend and they were like, "What? What does that mean?" <laughs> uh, like, "What?" It's well, so it. obvious. <laughs> Was it how I said it or what? I, uh, uh. All right. What am I going to name this episode? I was thinking ravenous because that was the last thing you said, Mike. The Ocho uh, One. The ravenous. Ocho One. The Ocho Uno. The Ocho Uno. Grace Proof. Uh, probably the Ocho. All right. It's eight thirty. Eastern time. Navy Good luck. Dad. Okay, yeah. Thank so you. you're going thank to get the braces right now? Literally right now. Yep. Yeah. All right, so now from all, now on, <laughs> the podcast kind of going to sound like this. Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Mike. <laughs> I live in my parents' basement. I'm 30 and just got braces. <laughs> I say I'm not 30 yet, uh, but that's so embarrassing. Um, yeah, just imagine this, okay? You step into an orthodontist and it has a whole bay... <laughs> Of these prostrate chairs, and you see a teenager, 
middle schooler, another teenager, six foot three priest <laughs> whose legs are sticking <laughs> over the chair. They even have chairs big enough for you? I have no idea. I'm literally surrounded by teenagers. And I'm just going to be some giant weirdo with braces. Gosh. It'll be a death to self. It does remind me, not to make this about me, but my one sympathetic story is when I went uh, to get a hunting license. When I was in college, I had to go through hunter safety course, which I'm sure Rob did when he was eight years old, which I think is the youngest you can be. (laughs) And I'm there with like 38-year-olds with their dads, and I'm the (laughs) only person that's 19 or 20. And I remember doing that when I was a kid, and that would yeah. have been weird. Like, this, it had you there. Yeah. This DNR guy talking about shotgun safety and stuff, and I'm taking notes. Yeah, oh, that sounds weird. awesome compared to what I'm about to do. Yeah, it was pretty great because I could leave and didn't have <laughs> yeah. braces on my teeth. <laughs> yeah. Guys. We don't, we're not the, making funny, Mike. Here comes the dental train tracks. Doot, doot. <laughs> All right. We're making fun y'all. with you. Okay. Yeah, totally. Hey, hopefully we can get back in a routine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's figure that out. All right. Most def. Let's get some uh let's get some text messages going. Some on. gift gift trains. Yep. Dude, I love can we please never stop the gifts? Can we <laughs> this would be a great challenge to not communicate only via gifts, including times, and see yeah. if we can nail it for the next Whoa, one. Oh, times. Okay. That'll be hard. I'm on board. That'll right. be really hard. Hey, did y'all read the? Oh dang! There, okay, did y'all read the essay? Read the essay that I sent. Oh yeah, I haven't read it yet. You need to do yeah. that. Okay, I something's not totally right about it, but I can't figure it out. So I'm gonna need y'all's help with it. Okay. Was mm-hmm. it the part that you were talking like you don't actually need to go to confession and you can just say stuff to God? <laughs> <laughs> Why would I need to confess my sins to a man who's also a sinner? I can just go straight to God. I don't know. It was just like a couple red flags came up to me, but. <laughs> All right, guys. Good talk. See you. Good luck, Mike. Yep. Bye. Bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.